0: Chase Mobile App is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., Member FDIC.
1: The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and five G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers
2: Pushkin. If there's one thing most people don't know about me, it's that I'm an Olympics obsessive. I just love the agony and ecstasy and all the drama that comes with the world's biggest sporting event. Yes, the Olympics are problematic in lots of ways, but I'm here for the athletes' stories, from the anonymous triple jumpers high-stepping to glory to the megawatt figure skating stars taking colossal diggers on the ice. My Olympics obsession was how I found out about Chelsea Wolf. Chelsea is a professional BMX freestyle rider who is an alternate to represent Team USA at the Tokyo 2020 Summer Games. She is also trans and autistic, a very unique combination in the bro-heavy world of action sports. And after I watched a bunch of videos of her flipping and spinning and just generally shredding while in short shorts, I knew I had to chat with her. Give me a brief bio, like give me the nickel tour of Chelsea Wolf. Like, have you always been a BMX racer and, you know, and freestylist? Like, where where did you get your start?
0: Yeah, pretty much my entire life I've been on bikes. Um, I want to say that I probably learned riding a bike on just like the street when I was around three or four something like that. And then, uh, when I was six, just before my seventh birthday, my family got into BMX racing and I did that for most of my life up until I think I was about 21 when I kind of started to burn out of racing just a little bit, but I had started with BMX freestyle when I was 15. And then that was a big part of why I kind of got tired of racing as I was just having so much more fun with freestyle and, uh, I've been doing freestyle consistently. Since then, pretty much my entire life has been on bikes and competing in one way or another, whether it was BMX racing, mountain bike racing, fixed gears, or BMX freestyle. That's kind of like a big constant that has been there for me. Where um, where did you grow up? Uh, South Florida in the West Palm Beach area. So my local racetrack that I would go to is called Okihili BMX. Is still a great track to this day. Um, but, yeah, most of my childhood was spent there, probably.
2: <laughs> so tell me like,, uh,
0: like, what was little Chelsea like as a kid? Um, so like I've always been involved in sports, and I mean, my mom told me that I was like fairly competitive, but I think I just more really enjoyed participating in things and trying to do the best that I could do. always been. Quite the outcast and the weirdo. Um, <laughs> and that's one thing that's a constant that really helped me feel like, okay, yes, I'm definitely autistic. It's just like all the way back to when I was just a little kid, my earliest memories, just feeling kind of different than the other kids and being kind of like the weird one in the group if I did have a friends group. Um, so I wouldn't say a ton has changed really. I'm still a weirdo and I still ride
1: bikes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, what is it about bikes for you that, that is like, that is like your love and your passion?
0: I don't even know. It's like, I mean, with starting at such a young age, it's like that consistency of it's the same thing I've been doing my whole life is like so comforting and nice, but also there's something so fascinating and beautiful about the bicycle and how it's just a, simple, but also complex piece of machinery that can be fine tuned to just create beautiful music of riding basically. And just the, uh, the different styles of bikes and construction, they're just, they're very fascinating. And yeah, probably one of my longtime special interests is just bikes and bike knowledge. I worked as a mechanic for like nine years and, uh, There's just so many things to learn about such a simple thing, but then socially as well, like the freedom that bicycles provide of just freedom of motion and their involvement in various liberation movements throughout history, bicycles are a very special thing to me.
2: I feel you. Like I'm smiling the whole way through as you're talking because I feel the same way. I mean... You know, I was never indoors as a kid. I was always out riding my bike. I remember, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I wouldn't ride a girl's bike. I insisted that my parents get me a BMX bike. Like, do not get me wrong. I was not, like, riding BMX. But that's what I wanted. Like, that's what the boys had. And so that's the bike that I wanted. But then at a silent auction at my elementary school, I won a Haro BMX bike. It was, like, the top prize. And it was incredible. It was so much fun. I loved it. And I love the idea still that, like, I can't fix my car, but I can fix my bike. You know,
0: speaking of getting into bikes and childhood, though, my story with first getting into riding bikes is, um, when I was first learning how to ride, I was obviously on training wheels and, um, my mom was walking behind me and holding the seat as I pedaled. One time I get to the end of the street and thinking that she was right there holding the seat the whole time and she had let go and she was back at the starting point. So I had just learned to ride a bicycle and I didn't even know it. Uh, So then the next day, I was so excited that I got to go ride my two-wheeler bicycle without training wheels with all the big kids. So I'm riding up and down the sidewalk in front of my house. And at one point, I got squirrely, just kind of lost control tried to save it, ended up chasing it off the side of the sidewalk and crashed into the rear quarter panel of my parents' Jeep. At the time, it was a pretty new Jeep too. So it was like one of the first scratches that I put on it. And um, fast forward to today, that is the Jeep that I still drive as my daily driver.
2: And that scratch is still there. I had a Jeep. Is it a Wrangler? It is, yeah. I had a Wrangler also. I was my first car that was not like my parents piece of shit car Mm. extra car you know Um, and if that (laughs) if that wasn't an indication that I was gay I don't know what was
0: (laughs) Um, I went bike riding with some friends recently and um, between the three of us one of them was driving a Subaru hatchback the other one was driving a Volkswagen Golf and then I was driving a Jeep Wrangler I'm like well we sure are a crew of homos aren't we
2: (laughs) Amazingly, amazingly, Chelsea, I have had all of those (laughs) cars. I'm not even getting the, the quintessential gay car. Like you yeah, have to drive true. one of those three. It's true. And I didn't <laughs> even try. I I like I, I drive a Subaru present right now with a hatchback. Yeah. Um, like you
0: don't even set out to do it. It's like
2: the gay life chooses you. It's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> um. So so you mentioned, you know, feeling like sort of an outcast and a weirdo. And I wonder, like, what school was like for you, you know, when you were a kid. Yeah, pretty much. just that always like trying to fit in, but feeling like there was
0: some kind of disconnect and not being able to understand or explain why, um, in conversation, I never knew the right thing to say. I would try to contribute and say something and everyone would be like, that's weird. <laughs> um, and that kind of still is the case in you know, certain pockets of interacting with people to this day is just always having that kind of like lack of connection there that, you know, it's, you can't even put your finger on exactly what it is, like why you feel it, but it's there
2: for sure. Did that change when you entered the bike sphere? Like, did it change when you went to the park? Did it change when you started doing races? Like, did you find community there? No, it
0: was kind of the same thing. I had some great (laughs) friends with, you know, riding bikes and all, but it was the exact same. Just, like, felt like there was this disconnect. And even though we shared the passion for BMX racing, I was still kind of the oddball of the
2: bunch. That was very strange outside of our shared passion for bikes. Right. Is there a way that you can break down, like, how much of this sort of not fitting in was, like, gender stuff and how much of it was, like neurodivergence like or was it all just like in one big soupy pile and then that's the thing is like it all
0: kind of is just one big soupy pile because all of those elements are what make us who we are and it's like who's to say that the reason I didn't feel a connection with one person is for this reason or that reason when there's like so many different aspects about me
2: that make me kind of an oddball right 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 um, did you get a formal diagnosis, uh, autism diagnosis, or did you sort of self-identify, self-diagnose, and and what whichever one? When did that happen for you?
0: I um I kind of always knew there was something. Um, my older brother was diagnosed as autistic at a very young age, very typical. You know, the boy gets diagnosed and the girl is ignored. Um, So it wasn't until a couple of years ago, actually, that, uh, like you said, when the pandemic started, all of those supports kind of fell apart and I had to start spending time with myself that I started to really have to figure out like, what is it that makes me tick? How do I learn how to function again without the supports that I used to have? Um, So it was during the year of 2020. I can't remember exactly when in that year, but that was when I sought out and got a diagnosis for being autistic. But I went my entire life just thinking that there was something wrong with me rather than realizing like, oh, this this particular thing about me is because of the autism.
2: Like I just thought it was like, like a character flaw. <laughs> That's interesting that you had a sibling who was on the spectrum and was diagnosed. And I mean, were there similarities between you where you were like, oh, he has that, I'm a little bit like that? Absolutely. And that's the
0: thing that blows my mind, that I don't understand how I wasn't diagnosed sooner, is like almost all of the things that got him his diagnosis, like the various traits that were noticed and picked up on by the adults I had the same thing, but instead of being like, oh, wow, like you might be autistic too. Let's take you to a professional and figure this out. It was like, why are you doing that thing? And I would get in trouble for it and be criticized. It's like, what? <laughs> and it's, it's really oh. funny too, with like, my experience is very similar to other uh, trans femme people's experiences At the time, my parents wouldn't have had any reason to suspect that I wasn't a boy just like my older brother. And yet my experiences, even in that time, is more closely aligned with experiences of femme people and women who are autistic being overlooked and having our needs neglected because the way that they are perceived.
2: But did people think like, oh, Chelsea's just like copying Yes. I think that was probably yeah. a big
0: part of it is they just figure like, Oh, okay. She just wants to be like her big brother rather than like, we just had very similar traits because we were both autistic and right. yeah, just a, a lot of those things. Like I, uh, my older brother, one of the things that got him some extra care and attention was that when he was stressed, he would pull his hair out. And, yeah. uh, meanwhile I got in trouble for fidgeting with my hair and, The uh, One of the ways I tried to mask this and treat it myself, since the adults in my life weren't going to, is I would wear beanies all day, every day. And as you can see, I still do that because hair touching my face, I will rip it out. But when I did those things, I got in trouble for it. When my older brother did those things, he got taken to a psychiatrist to see what was causing it. And I don't understand why like that treatment was so different. And it's funny too, because within, you know, gender discourse, people say like, oh, if you're trans, like you're socialized as your gender that you're assigned at birth. It's like, not quite. Like it's a lot more complicated than that because the socialization that happens to you, not only will you internalize it differently depending on who you are and what you are on the inside, but people will treat you differently even if they don't know That you're a girl, for
2: example. So basically, Chelsea was already being treated like the girl she would become, or that she was inside when it came to her autism, which is wild to think about. Gender is weird, y'all. Chelsea didn't get diagnosed with autism until 2020, like me. Also, like me, Chelsea's an athlete. We're basically twins. Just kidding. I'm not an athlete anymore, though I do have aging athlete body. So you and I got a diagnosis around about the Mm -hmm. same time. And it seems like that's really common, too,
0: with the pandemic going on. Sorry to cut you off. There's like people who were coming into such an awareness of themselves with being diagnosed with like neurodivergent traits or coming out as trans or queer, just changing oh, their yeah. um, presentation. like It was really such a like, good
2: break for everyone to kind of get to, get to know themselves better. How was your process of getting diagnosed? Was it challenging or was it, was it easy for you? Yeah, it was pretty tricky. Um, I had been asking my therapist for quite
0: a while to refer me to someone to be diagnosed or just screened for autism. Um, and it took a long time to uh, finally start to figure out like what medical professional would even make that assessment, um, who to make an appointment with, and then actually getting that appointment and being taken seriously. Once I finally got the appointment, it was kind of, they, uh, asked me a bunch of questions, had me do a bunch of mental exercises, and I'm assuming watched how I completed those things. And then at the end, they were like, congratulations, you have the autisms. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> I knew that already. It's just, but thank you for validating this. So if I ever need accommodations and supports and, you know, there's the issue of places that require a professional diagnosis for these things to access our support needs, I have that paperwork to be like, look, I am official. The doctors said that I am officially autistic, mm-hmm. like... Mm-hmm, it's almost, mm-hmm. it reminds me a lot of, like, the way that people treat being trans as, like, oh, you have to be, like, diagnosed with gender identity disorder or dysphoria or something like that. Like, it, it's up to a doctor, usually a cis doctor, to say, like, yep, you have the right. trans. Like, no, like, you're, you're <laughs> trans. And then, like, a doctor confirming that or not. Like, it's the, the same thing with autism. is like, you're autistic whether or not the doctor says
2: you are. like. Even though you knew it, though, you still felt the need to get a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Like, you still felt the need to get the word, get the official word, get a piece of paper. Like, if you were very clear on on who you were, why did you need that?
0: I mean, a big part of it was just finding like the ability to access support needs when a like professional diagnosis is required. If somebody does try to deny the legitimacy of my claims that I'm autistic, because if a doctor could, you know, know better than I would. Um, (laughs) But the other thing is kind of just like the validation of like, you know, there's obviously that self-doubt there. It's like, what if I'm just making this all up? Like, what if, you know, just being gaslit my entire life, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. for being autistic and just being, you know, treated like it was something I was doing wrong rather than that. I was actually autistic kind of like led me to like low key believe like, okay, maybe it's, it is maybe, maybe I'm the drama.
2: <laughs> right. Right. I feel you. I mean, that was what, you know, like, I, I think that in the absence of appropriate and accessible, mental health care, a self-diagnosis, a self-identification seems totally reasonable and valid. But for me, Mm -hmm. and probably because I'm older, I felt like this is not like it's it's not really going to work for me because I would always be left with questions. And Mm -hmm. even after I got the diagnosis, I still had like, I still felt like, like, I had fraud syndrome, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, I still felt like, uh, I'm just, just get over it. Like, you're mm-hmm. fine. Like, you're not, you know, and and I hated feeling like that because, you know, if somebody diagnosed you with, like, with something else, I mean, you wouldn't be like, oh, but I might be faking it, even though they said I wasn't, you know? I think, uh, we possibly get hit with
0: that extra hard to being late diagnosed autistic people because sure. we kind of go our whole lives being told that like our support needs and our autistic traits are personal failings, something that we're doing wrong. And then we internalize that even after we're diagnosed and it feels like I can push through this if I really tried and our brains are like kind of conceptualizing that as like, I'm faking this. I don't really have this support need. I'm making it up because that's what we have Mm -hmm. been brainwashed and told to believe our entire lives. Um, So it's really hard to get over and start to be able to reflect on like, what are my needs? And I'm going to respect those needs. I don't care what somebody else says or even what my anxiety tells me.
2: Right. 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 Did you feel like sort of metaphorically you were able to like let your hair down after your diagnosis? You were able to like, like step more fully into yourself? Mm -hmm. I definitely like I was terrified to
0: stim freely in public before, whereas now like I've I don't care. (laughs) I'll be I'll be in the middle of a crowded skate park and like sensory overload big time. Especially like here in California, most of the sessions are mixed with skateboards, and skateboards Ah. are so much louder than bikes. Oh my gosh! And it's just so much noise, so many people, so many things going on. And like I'll you know straight up like go over to where I have my bag and just curl up in a ball with my fidget toy and stim until I calm down right there. Like I don't care. Like maybe people are like. Oh, look, it's that weird girl. But, like,
2: yeah, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. I'm also a weird girl who's, like, um, you know, a champion cyclist. So you can eat it. Yeah, Um. it's
0: like it's working for me. (laughs) Like, I'm getting paid to ride here today. So, like...
2: Right, like this is your hobby. This is my job. So yeah, yeah, but, you know, yeah, it's that's
0: definitely uh, helped me to feel more comfortable just being myself and stimming freely. And if somebody does want to like come up to me and be like, "Hey, you're weird. Why are you doing that?" It's like,
2: "What's pulling an autistic girl, you weirdo?" Like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I have to say, like, there was this pendulum swing for me where I felt like. Am I becoming more autistic, like, after the diagnosis? (laughs) Yes, and that's
0: something, too, that I think people will actually, like, accuse of, like, oh, this is why you're faking it, because, like, you've been acting more autistic since your diagnosis, and, like, it feels like that. But it's like, it just is like you said, like your hair down, just like so freeing to finally understand and you're able to embrace yourself and not be like, why am I doing this thing? Like, what's wrong with me? This is a bad habit. This is a character flaw. But like, I need to do this thing. This is good for me. Um, it right. does kind of seem like all of those traits come out of nowhere. And it it's very does like it does not
2: help the imposter syndrome at all. <laughs> right, right. I'm so glad to hear you say that because, you know, I been going through it like I'm like I'm melting down more like I have a lot of meltdowns I'm like Mm -hmm. a lot like it feels worse and like this shouldn't be the case because I'm you know I should be I should be able to manage this better and all this stuff but I have found myself being like what is going on here like why do I feel Mm -hmm. like more autistic but really what it is is it's like being tired of masking or hiding or Mm -hmm. whatever. And I imagine that there were so many parallels also for you In your gender journey, because it's like I don't want to live this way anymore. But you're you, but you have conflict about it, and you have these sort of inner demons, and you have these voices telling you you're wrong, and all of this stuff, and blah 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 blah. And it's like, ugh, our brains are so boring. Yeah, they'll like
0: they'll try to believe. Like our brains will try to believe, literally any other explanation, especially with, you know, with being trans. Like when I first came to the realization that I was trans and started to come out, like this was before public acceptance was where it's at today. Like we're talking a little bit of like about a decade and a half ago, like public knowledge wasn't there. Like being trans was like, that was a bad word. Like you did not want to be that. So of course, like my brain tried to think of like any other possible explanation. And even with being Mm -hmm. autistic, like I've had the reaction when I tell people that I'm autistic, of like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like you poor thing. It's like, no, this is great. I love this. (laughs) Like this is just who I am. And I value that, but it's kind of like a similar thing of like autism and disability are just seen as like a bad word and a negative thing when they are things Mm. to be celebrated and embraced because that is just part of who we are. Um, Yeah, Our brains will try to like latch on to other explanations to shy away from that just because of how we're conditioned. And it's funny because like we were talking about before is nothing changed. You just understand it now. But like, even though like you like just became aware of being autistic or you were just diagnosed as autistic or like you just came out as Mm -hmm. trans, like you were... Mm trans or autistic or whatever your entire life up to that point nothing concrete is changing it's just you understand yourself better now and I know that was a big uh response with when I came out as trans people thinking that Mm -hmm. like I was going to change as a person like somehow because I came out it's like no I mean I, I still like bmx and rc cars and i wear cut off jean shorts and t-shirts it's just i'm a girl now
2: <laughs> the jorts your jorts game is really on point uh-huh. i will say that i wonder about like you're in the action sports biz like it's always been seen at least from the outside is like way broey is it harder to be like autistic or trans or like does nobody even care? Is it like a chill crew? Like do people like whatever, you just like to ride bikes and I'm I'm here for that. So thankfully I would say maybe
0: a majority of people that are just like, I don't care. Like you like bikes. I like bikes. Cool. Um, but there is definitely the bro-y aspect of it. I've been cool guide by more people and more times than I can count. Um, and whether that was because like they didn't like that I was trans or we just didn't vibe because I'm autistic, whatever the reason is, that can definitely be that like kind of perception that it's a very bro-y culture, uh, unfortunately seems to hold true when like for me BMX and action sports should be the opposite it's like we're the outcasts of the outcasts like especially like BMX is like you know skateboarding is what you do if you couldn't make the football team and BMX is what you would do if you couldn't skateboard so it's like we're the like <laughs> super weirdos so the fact that like people want to try to be like exclusionary and throwy in that community it's like no nah, like we embrace the weirdness here that's what we do
2: <laughs> yeah 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 well that's good i mean that's the, that it's it's good to hear at least that like people are just like, you can ride. That's cool. Have you come across many other autistic athletes, particularly professional athletes? That I know of, eh? yeah. but like
0: also it's, um, it's strange how easily we can tell if somebody else is autistic by the connection that we can feel with someone. Like, I won't say that like, I can't tell for sure if like I've met you know other autistic athletes, um, but I don't really like know how many just because I'm sure there are people right. that like I just didn't talk to or their autism like presents differently than my own or they're just not open about it, whatever it is. but I feel like there's probably a fair amount of people who are neurodivergent in some way in action sports, especially professionally, because a big part of what made me kind of need to do BMX as a career and gave me the ability to do BMX as a career is being autistic. I'm not Mm. cut out for the nine to five thing. I hit burnout way too much. I have way too many needs for most jobs to satisfy without firing me. Whereas being a pro athlete, like I set my own schedule, I set my own sensory needs. Like I can kind of accommodate for those things and still perform my role as an athlete also the kind of obsession with doing things repetitively and finding just so much joy out of doing the same thing over and over and over until it's perfect. That's kind of what you need to do to train for being an athlete and where other people might get burnt out on having to do the same trick over and over and over. Like I love that. (laughs) So in a way, like it kind of like has helped me to become a professional athlete because of my just obsession with riding.
2: That makes total sense to me, because, you know, because from what I have gathered from friends who are professional athletes, like the the self-indulgence, and I mean that in a positive way that you need to have, if you're an individual sport athlete, hundred percent focused on yourself and your training and mm-hmm. your nutrition and your equipment and you're this and you're that. It makes sense. Like you're autistic. You can hyper focus on this thing and you don't, there are no outside distractions, you Mm know, it's really cool. And I bet you that there are a lot of undiagnosed autistic athletes that would not present in this sort of classical way, Mm -hmm. but their sport is able to sort of mask it because there's these overlapping traits.
0: It's funny. I was just talking about that in my last meeting that I was in today is how like Mm. uh, athletics can kind of, be uh, an outlet for your neurodivergence to kind of manifest in a socially acceptable yeah. way. Um, and it just helps you blend in for so long. Um, and then like, sometimes you'll get to a point where like, it's just that thing doesn't work anymore. Like whatever it was yeah. that was like allowing you to channel that difference through your sport. For some reason it stops working and you have to like face like, oh, okay. Like, I am different.
2: <laughs> like um, Girl, you are speaking my language right now. I mean, when I had to stop playing sports, like, I mean, they were such a huge part of my life. And then, mm-hmm. like, you know, when you finish college and then it's the end of the road, you know, because I wasn't going to make it a career. I did not realize the impact that that had on me. In the second half of my life to not have that thing that was completely focusing that also made you that allowed you to blend in my obsession with the sport and and knowing everything about it and knowing all about the equipment and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. It never found a home after that, you know, it never found a home. I mean, sometimes I just feel the need to jog around the block. I'm like, I just need to get the, get it out. But I don't have that outlet.
0: Well, and even like the repetitive motion of Running or endurance cycling, for example, like that can be a form of stimming. And it is just moving your body in a repetitive motion, exercising is that is kind of like a socially acceptable form of stimming. So, like, kind of it helps mask, but also it can be what causes somebody to excel at sports because. For them, it's not like, oh, man, I'm suffering through this really long bike ride. It's like, oh, my God, I just got stim for eight hours straight, and nobody criticized me.
2: (laughs) I feel you. Yeah, I mean, that's totally—so, you know, we had a garage at the back of our house, and I would throw the lacrosse ball, bop, 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 over and over and over again. And my stick skills were— Tight. I mean, they were really, really good. I had amazing stick skills, very bad temper, but amazing sk- stick skills. But like it was because I was able to be out there for hours and not get bored mm-hmm. and, and like constantly doing tricks, like we call wall ball, constantly doing things like that. It's gorgeous that you've, you know, been able to make this your job. Being an athlete and being autistic does not comport with a lot of people's understanding of autism. Mm-hmm. And I bet if it was looked into more, people would see that there's a huge crossover. Actually.
0: Well, yeah. Cause I mean, there's, there's obviously the sensory issues that can make it tricky. Yeah. There is the coordination issues that can make it tricky, but mm-hmm. like there are so many aspects of autism that lend itself really well to being an athlete. Um, and I, yeah. I'm actually, I'm really enjoying this conversation because I've, I think we've only been interviewed a handful of other times about being an autistic athlete. And yeah. almost all of the interviews are geared more towards like, oh, wow, this must be really hard. Let's talk about things you've had to overcome. I'm like, no, no, ask me about the things that I think are benefits of being an autistic athlete, because there's a lot more of that. But it's just like the perception and it's like, oh, wow, you're struggling with this thing. It's like, no, it's this beautiful thing that I think benefits me.
2: Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, the the woman who diagnosed me was like really into talking about superpowers, like autistic superpowers. I think she was an autistic supremacist, to be honest, or a autistic exceptionalist, uh, because she was just like basically like we're better than everybody, which I understand, <laughs> because like as a gay person, I think gay people are better and probably like as a trans person, you're like trans people are better, like which is Probably 100% accurate, all of those things, you know? um, And so her thing was like superpowers. And, and, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, I'm not willing to go that far, but I definitely agree that there are things that make you like, I'm an obsessive talker. That could be a communication deficit, or it could be great because that actually is my job. Yes, you know? exactly.
0: And like same thing you were mentioning with uh, lacrosse and like doing the wall yeah. ball thing is like, I'm sure there were kids that have to kind of be like pushed by their coaches to be like, all right, go do your drills, like do the same thing over and over. And they're like, yeah, I'm so bored. I want to do something exciting. And for you, it's like, that's your enrichment. Like you are loving that. So it's like, that is an advantage of being autistic. Is that like the kind of groggy, boring aspect of repetition that comes with being good at anything. We thrive in that. We
2: love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I feel like we have kept you so much longer than, than we anticipated, but this has been such a lovely chat, and I'm mm-hmm. so grateful for your time, and I have one last question for you. Uh, I want to know, will you be my autistic friend? I would love to be your autistic friend. <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm in. I'm autistic in. friends is great. are the best
0: friends. Like, th- this, yes. you know how there's always like growing up, there's that just disconnect of like, you don't understand why you don't connect with your peers, but you know that you don't and you just feel like an outcast. Autistic friends are the opposite. It's like, you don't understand yeah. why you have that connection, but you just fit in. It works so well. So yeah, so totally. autistic friends
2: are the best. <laughs> Fantastic. So if I ever, if I ever come out to uh, San Diego, will you, will you teach me uh, something on the, on the BMX bikes? I can teach you BMX bikes, RCs, we can go off-roading, like (laughs) all the
0: things. You can join my cult.
2: (laughs) I don't, I don't know how I'll fit on such a tiny and uncomfortable bicycle. I mean, it literally is like a bike for clowns. Like, like at this, like as a giant, like, I don't know how you guys, fit on them I realize you never sit on the seats I get it but also like they're so tiny why they can't are they just orthodox. be a little bit bigger
0: it's funny because like whenever people take it way seriously I like kind of giggle because it's like my guy buddy dude like we are riding bikes that are appropriately sized for a 12 year old how seriously are you gonna take yourself right
2: now (laughs) it's true it's true it's so true it's so true I mean you're right it's a toy like we are playing with toys and like yes
0: there's like competitions yes we're making careers out of it but at the end of the day like we are playing with toys and like, that's what I love the most about BMX and just yeah. enjoying things that like, in the grand scheme of things, they're not productive. And for me, that's the yeah. beauty of BMX and RC cars yeah. and skateboarding or anything that you're into is just engaging in it because it makes you happy.
2: Yeah. 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 Well, this has been uh, a joy and a pleasure, Chelsea. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to me. It's been a great
2: conversation. Chelsea Wolf is a neuro spicy professional BMX freestyle rider who competes for the U.S. national team. You can find her on Instagram at Chelsea wolf BMX. That's Wolf with an E. This episode was produced by David Jha and edited by Sophie Crane. Mix Engineering by Jake Gorski. Thanks to you, friend, for listening.